We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Welcome to two guys and you, a viewer. <laughs> two, two dudes and two cameras? <laughs> How are we doing this? We're looking at 26 and 1, sometimes translated to 26 and a girl, by Mr. Gorky today. Coming up. Codex Cantina. Can I be 26? <laughs> no. Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am a crypto. Huh? And if you are uh, new to this channel, we take a conversational approach to the stories that we read, tackling some of the most important stories that have influenced even today's writers, trying to talk about what some of the meanings could be behind it. If you're down for that type of approach to literature, hit that subscribe button to join us. And as always, start off with publication information. 26 and a Girl was first published in 1899 in a collection entitled Creatures That Once Were Men. That's interesting. I have it as in the magazine Zien. And maybe it's translation. Yeah. All right. Well, ours was translated by Yvonne Stronic, and we'll leave a link down below where you can read for free. Now, this is a new to us author, and I was actually really interested to learn that his name Gorky, like the Russian, that's the Russian word for like bitterness, I guess. And I guess that's kind of uh, describes his writing slash outlook, I guess, in some of the things that he would write. I think that fits pretty well with like the themes of this book, right? We have this dismal setting and it's the plight of these workers in this very rustic time of Russian history. Kind of kind of fits. He 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 nailed it. <laughs> and it's interesting too because my book had the number there were 26 of us, 26 living machines locked up in a damp cellar where we padded dough from morning till night, making biscuits and cakes. And that's a quote from the author himself. So you can see he's taking a very uh, real part of his own life in terms of all these different jobs that he worked. He's a guy that moved around and, and saw the plight of the average working man and saw the plight of the people who were forced to work long hours making dough and kind of wrote this story as almost kind of like this, uh, it evokes, I guess, a lot of the feelings that he had at the time. Did it make you hungry? I feel like baking should have been made one of the main themes with all these different types of things they were baking and the baker and the pretzels <laughs> or Pringles, I think my copy called it. To be fair, I think I like food enough that you could call that I worship my food as well because there was enough references to like worship and, and other religious icons through this. And we're going to have to talk about that today because I think there's a lot of different ways you can take this story. I don't think any of them are wrong. Let's just talk about maybe what resonated with us. And I already like what I heard from you because it sounds like we may have gone down different paths here. I think I took more of a literal interpretation with more of the historic what is going on in Russia at the time. And he's writing what he sees is happening in the 19th century of a Russian and czar-controlled peoples, and you have more of the religious view, right? Yeah. All right, let's jump into plot, and then let's, let's get into this a little bit. But in terms of plot, it's quite interesting, because we start off in this building in Russia in the late 19th century, Russian Empire, right, like you said. 
And we've got 26 bakers that labor under harsh working conditions. And they're locked up in this basement, work long hours, sing songs to get through the day. It's a very Russian opening. (laughs) Their only joy is giving Tanya, a young 16-year-old seamstress, the gift of bread as they labor over it each day and hand away to her. Now, next door is a better working condition group of bedmakers. One of them gets fired, so in long comes this soldier to take the spot, and he boasts about his strength and exploits with women until Pavel, one of the 26 bakers, pushes him to try his luck with Tanya, the young girl. Mm, uh-oh. You see, she's, she's too pure and clearly wouldn't be tempted by this devil, would she? Mm-mm. Two weeks go by, and he lures her in. He tells them to look out in the alley where he goes out, and they head to watch, and along comes Danya. They kind of go down this alley, disappear for a little bit, and she comes back a little disheveled, and they realize that he did, in truth, defile her, per se. So upon returning and seeing the act, the 26 men burst out and hiss and scowl at Tanya for ruining her, her purity, and Tanya never visits them again. End plot. Ah. <laughs> uh. And she kind of walks away like, you know what? I'm too good for you guys anyway. And I thought that was kind of an interesting twist because she seemed somewhat humble, but not really throughout it. And we can kind of discuss what she kind of represented for the story and maybe Russia as a whole. Well, I, I think it starts out with this this depiction of deplorable working conditions, right? I, I don't think that's arguable. We spend several pages kind of exploring how the the windows are locked and there's like this slime and grime all over the place. They can't even see out the window. It almost feels like they're in prison or in purgatory, some place of suffering. Yeah, and I I love the description of this, the how he talks about that nothing felt human and there was the fairy tale monster. He uses some really good descriptive words to kind of make you feel that melancholy and you're kind of getting depressed as you read this going, man, this is like a total bummer. (laughs) Well, and we have quotes where they say, it is very hard and painful for one to live when nothing changes around him. And if it does not kill his soul for good, the immobility of the surroundings become all the more painful the longer he lives. And I think this speaks to kind of what you're talking about of some of the grueling working conditions of the peoples of Russia at the time. And this is where I kind of hit on a little bit of the more historical aspect that I think Gorky's writing about, where he sees his people being oppressed. And I think that he writes it, of course, from maybe that little bit of a biblical term, always, you know, throwing that in there. But I think that he is seeing that I'm going to write about these people that are being oppressed by the government. Of course, he can't write too much because he might get in trouble by the czar at the time because in this time period, they have a czar who is very restrict and controlling. And I think that he's writing these people's struggles for sure. Well, what do they hope for, right? Tanya seems to be the only glimmer that they have, right? She she comes in, calls them, in my translation, it said, my little prisoners, which I think adds to that concept of people feeling trapped by their lifestyle, right? If we consider this basement a cell or a prison for them, and here she comes along, my little prisoners give me the bread, you know, are they obedient? Do they work the way the people at Russia did at the time? Is that what that's meant to represent? What do you think? No, I 
Yes, I definitely think that's what it represents. And it's interesting that they are obligatory towards her as long as she upholds the ideals that they place on her. And it becomes this almost symbiotic relationship. She will be their icon and they will dote on her with bread and praise and attention. And then she gets what she wants, the bread and the attention. And it's only when she has given up her innocence to someone else that they feel betrayed. And then they, you know, scold her, cast her out. And she's like, you know what? I don't need you guys anyway. I'm better off without you. And uh, it's kind of heartbreaking how that happens. But I think that's kind of what really happens in Russia. The people finally push back against the czar and get rid of him. And then we see someone else step in and Russia fall into communism, so to speak. And it's a couple decades later, right? This is what 1899 yeah it's it's 18 years but i'm saying they don't they don't directly fall into communism and falling into communism might say that it's a negative connotation because communism did help russian people pull them out of poverty get them working and get them fed which improved what the situation that these men were experiencing well, one thing for sure is we have quotes where they say but long after her departure we speak pleasantly of her to one another so in the current working traditions, though, she does bring some joy to them, right? When she comes in, it gives them a glimmer of hope. And we have the quotes, And then, though our hard labor had turned us into dull oxen, we nevertheless remained human beings. And like all human beings, we could not live without worshiping something. And I, I couldn't help but be drawn to a lot of the ideas here about worshiping this girl and calling her a godling or a icon in some of my translation. I don't, I don't know what trend you have in your translation, but they definitely used a lot of these religious terms and even kind of like rituals where when the girl would come in, you know, I, I don't want to say blind devotion, but this is their ritual, like what they would go through. We give her the bread, she gives us a smile and she heads upon her way rather quickly. You can kind of view it as maybe even tithing, you know, what do they do? They make bread. I don't know if we're supposed to compare that to communion from the Christian angle perspective. But you see a lot of the rituals that kind of happen here with the sacrifice. And I think they justify some of their conditions as a result of some of that expectation to suffer. I'm not sure if this fits maybe with that interpretation and or the historical narrative or maybe some kind of combination of both. But they're both kind of using each other, right? It's very interesting that at one point, they are okay with her saying no to them. One of the workers asks her to mend a shirt, and she mm -hmm. just kind of laughs it off and says, no, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and you're like, no wait problem. a minute. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wonder if Gorky is writing this in here, maybe from an influence of religion, or maybe he's kind of questioning religion you could maybe even argue saying to the point of you know why would god let us suffer like this why does the girl let that these men suffer when she could repair their shirt something so simple would mean so much and she doesn't give it to him and the men just keep blindly going with her until the straw that breaks the camel's back is when she gives up her innocence and i think that we see that historically when russia finally has to give up its innocence or relinquish its control or take its control back from the czar uh you know 20 years after this was written <laughs> i like how you're like i don't know if this fits with either narrative and then you perfectly kind of tie it in with the narrative <laughs> <laughs> But you do bring up a good point. Along comes our vehicle of change, the soldier. 
right? And I feel like I feel like this is when things got real for the room, because <laughs> he comes along and taunts them, right? He's he's got a little bit of a better lifestyle. He's got all of these women just clamoring for him and stuff, and brags about how he's such a man for these things. Um, you know, for me, with with my perspective, I think this is the first time to your point about you know following their their icon if you will this is the first time that i thought that maybe they started to question it or even test their belief and worship into their idol if you will because now they challenge him kind of like sermon on the mount or something along those lines of just like okay well you know my god would save me to your point that you just perfectly articulated about would an all benevolent god allow us to suffer here we have them being like okay we're going to tempt tanya our icon with this this man, this soldier who can seduce any woman. And I think this is them kind of testing their faith of, are we suffering for no reason or are we suffering for this, this belief in our system, a belief in a religion, if you will? I love that. And I don't know how religious Gorky was or whether he was a, a devout Catholic or atheist. I haven't done much research on him as an individual, I haven't read his biography, if there is even one about him. Um, but I do think about this of what if the soldier represents Western ideals? Russia at this time was trying mm. to hold on to their not archaic way of life, but their unique mm. way of agriculture and serfdom and a czar. And the West is moving much faster towards a, a, a modern society, you know, well into the Industrial Revolution. Japan is catching up to the rest of the world. Russia is falling very, very far behind, and I think that the soldier maybe represents vanity from a religious standpoint, but I think maybe Western idealism from a historical standpoint. And he breaks the mold for Russia for them to finally realize, hey, we can't keep doing what we're going to be doing or we're going to continue to suffer. And that's what these men finally realized. But even after all of that, they still don't rise up immediately. That does take some, you know, uh, revolutionary ideas, you know, a few decades later. That's amazing that you just tied that again perfectly, too. Do you remember uh, <laughs> what the story called him? Uh, I thought he was just a soldier. At one point, they say, it seemed to us that we were playing a game with the devil, with Tanya mm. as the stake on our side. And I think to your point, well, I took it very, I won't say literal, but I took it very directly that he was the devil of tempting choice, right? He's tempting uh, the the religion, the faith, and I love what you just did with him being played as the devil of of Western Westernization coming in because there were a lot of back and forth, particularly even with the czars of of which one was in power at the time of whether they're going to be uh, more west you know be more westernized as a country or were they going to be more traditional like I, I think it actually works both way interestingly yeah I think about this how how could it have changed right how could have the bakers and all of these impoverished prison people that possibly can't read and coordinate improve their lives. Well, they look for this shining little example or this hope, and, and then it's thrown back at them in this perverse way. Could they have improved their lives? Because they do nothing to help themselves. And they just rely completely blindly on Tanya. And I think that, to your point, and again, I kind of go back and forth of religiously, there's this idea that, you know, the joke about the the man drowns and he goes to heaven and mm -hmm. he's like, God, why didn't you save me? And he's like, I, th I sent three people with boats to get you. Like, why didn't you jump on one of these boats? And mm -hmm. these men are kind of the same way. They just, they don't do anything to help themselves. And I feel like Gorky is really pushing 
you know, questioning people's loyalties, whether to religion or to the Russian czar and state. You're so convincing. I want to come over to your side now. So if they're in prison, <laughs> if this is their working conditions and it's terrible, what do they do to leave? They, I think that's your answer is they do have to help themselves. And how do they do that? They have to leave and kind of move up in class in a sense because they can at this point in time, right? Um, it's a little bit harder. It's, I make it sound like it's so easy to do. <laughs> but but <laughs> you see them return to the way that they have always done things. They return to their pretzel making, their bread making, depending on your translation. And I think that that fits really well. What I Where I was going originally from like the religious standpoint was this was when they were testing their faith and it failed. They're in purgatory. So this almost reads kind of like... I don't know much about Gorky either, but it feels kind of like an atheist writing about theism, like, like why do I believe? And it almost feels like these characters are writing their own purgatory in terms of, of working in this pretzel factory. And the only time they come out is when they've lost all their faith, right? They leave and come up onto the streets. By abandoning that, they, they realize their self-imposed... Um, suffering is for naught, if you will, is, is one way to take that. But then they would go back right to it because they don't know anything better was kind of like the, the straight faith angle. But I almost really like uh, the westernization angle too of like, how do I help pull myself out of these conditions? And I, and I think that's rather brilliant. I'm going to lean back though to you because you, you brought up a good point. You just said the, a key word there of that they come up Right. Well, they're they're down, and and then so much of the imagery of the story puts them down in this you know hot furnace like area, which you know would resemble kind of the fire and brimstone thoughts of uh, your traditional hell. And I, I think that there's just there's so much imagery in this of what could be alluded to some type of of religion. I mean, it's hard to argue that it's not there. And I think that he did a beautiful job of weaving these two together. Do you know why the story is translated to 26 and 1 and 26 and a girl sometimes? I, I, I was reading something about that, that there were certain words that said that it was a person and others that it was men. And so they just left it out to not make it as confusing or something like that. From what I saw, I read a little bit up on the foreword. It said that that numbers, I guess, I don't know if it's always or sometimes are gendered. Right, so there's a male one and a female one, and it uses a female one in the Russian title, but it is 26 and one, but it's using the female. Hence, they sometimes translate it to "and a girl." I get, I, I don't speak Russian, but I was reading uh. that. But that's very specific to have chosen that, where it's arguing for your case again. It's 26. We are Russia, right? And the one is the one that's different. The girl, Tanya, is doing this, something that's different. And maybe that makes us question, are we stronger together and we have to all come out and pull ourselves up together? Or do we act like Tanya and become the one and act on our own? Uh, I don't know if the soldier was meant to maybe pull out some of that mentality too. I don't know. Oh, but what if Tanya is the ideal that they're supposed to be working towards and that you shouldn't be putting up a person or something on an idol. I don't know. It, it, it's so good. It, oh, it, that's a good it, point. That's it, a good yeah. point because she never agreed to be their idol. They yeah, put a false her idol. They, maybe that. they created that image of this is what we need to become and this is why we suffer. That's a really good point. We're we're arguing against each other and for each other too here. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Stop helping me. I mean, what? Uh. <laughs> 
So guys, we're going to leave a playlist down below of Maxim Gorky. If you would love to see us or hear us talk about more of his stories, leave us a comment down below of what other stories or, or such that we should cover from him. He's kind of a newer to us author, but I would say I highly enjoyed what I've read so far. Mr. Crypto, let's move into our subjective wrap up and ratings. What are you going to give this one? I felt like I was a little bit down on this one first, but I've really enjoyed our conversation. And again, why we preach so much that you need to have these conversational approaches to literature to maybe bring out some more nuances and perhaps enjoy them a little bit more. And that has done that for me tonight. Uh, I was maybe at about a seven, but I think I'm going to bump it up to a solid eight. And I think that there is a lot of historical and biblical aspects that you can bring out of this story, a lot of good discussions, and to just be able to research on maybe not one of the most well-known Russian authors. Um, I mean, Gorky is very famous. Famous, but he's not some of the others that we've discussed on this channel. And I, I love learning new things as always. So solid eight for me. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you're going to be a lot lower <laughs> since I won no, the I, argument, right? <laughs> no, no, I think I'm still at an eight. I, 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 okay. I, ta I take no sides. But um, I, I will say some of the things that maybe were kind of interesting to me is I don't know if this is the translation. Like, I, I would love to know if you speak Russian and read this in, in its original way. There were so many like parenthetical, like like there's lots of commas, like the grammar was very interesting. It wasn't the usual traditional way that one approaches prose. And I realize this is kind of still you know late 19th century, obviously, but you know, literature still evolving in Russia, but it wasn't like what we've seen. It was still clean, but it's still very different, I guess, in the way that it was approached. And I was constantly wondering why it was structured that way and i didn't know if it was translation or what so hit me up in the comments if you can kind of shed some light on that but i did enjoy it. i'll go with eight out of ten recommend it guys we post videos every monday and thursday and a huge focus on a lot of russian literature if you're down for something like that hit that subscribe button we'll see you on the journey una out peace <laughs>